on April 1st, 2021, in 28 years of Amazon existence, we won the first union in American history. The power and the greed of the corporate elite is the bad news, but here is some very good news. We are seeing workers taking on billionaires and telling them they ain't gonna get away with their greed anymore. Billionaires, they gotta go. Billionaires, they gotta go. Billionaires, they gotta go. Fuck Jeff Bezos. Fuck Jeff Bezos. Fuck Jeff Bezos. When you come to the fight with organized labor, if you are corporate America and you want to take us on, or you're a crooked, corruptible politician, put your helmets on, buckle your chin straps, it's a full contact sport. Chris Smalls from the Amazon Labor Union, Bernie Sanders and Teamsters President Sean O'Brien firing up an already fired up crowd at the Labor Notes conference in Chicago. We've got highlights from the Friday night program on today's show, along with more voices from the folks who stopped by the Labor Radio Podcast Network booth here at the conference. My name is Carmen. Naomi. I'm Arsul Asif. Anisia Ventura. My name is Jackie Serrato. My name is Martin Unzueta. Say Carlos. Jeanette Corsilius. Robert Hughes. Michael Harrington. My name is Jamie Simpson. Zach Young. Jessica Buttermore. Okay, if you could uh, tell me your name. Jessica Thornton. I'm Nate Wendt. Nicole McCormick. Joe Jenks. Ben Grosscup. My name's Maggie Hansford. We've got a link to the video of the entire Friday night program in the show notes. I'm Chris Garlock. Here's the show. Oh, troublemakers! Bradbury, editor of Labor Notes magazine, and I am so happy to welcome you here. It's the first conference of the Roaring Twenties. So let's get a sense of who we got in the room. Do we have any teachers in the room tonight? How about Teamsters? Any Teamsters here? and Amazon workers. Are there any union stewards here? Anyone who's been on strike in the last year or two? Woo! Anyone who helped form a union in your workplace? at your very first Labor Notes conference ever. Look at that. So a warm Labor Notes and Great Labor Arts Exchange welcome for Dilson Hernandez. How we doing? How we doing? How we doing?
Thank you so much. I appreciate y'all. Peace. O'Brien is a fourth-generation Teamster, yeah. Last fall, if you haven't heard, last fall, Teamsters voted two to one to elect him president of their 1.2 million member union. Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity to be here today. I want to thank Labor Notes for the kind invitation. This is my first time here, and wow, is this an unbelievable crowd. And I've never been so proud of what we accomplished as Teamsters. We took over the most powerful union, most controversial union in the country representing one 0.2 million members, and that wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for the power of the rank and file being involved in your union. Now, I see all these people in here. This is a great crowd, very diverse crowd. It's not against black or white. It's not against left or right. It's about the power of collaboration to truly effectuate change in this country. And that change starts tonight. I've got a message for those white-collar crime syndicates in corporate America, for those crooked politicians that don't want to listen and respect where we're coming from. Right? 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 It's going to get, it's going to get bloody. It's going to get painful. So ice up. And secondly, when you take one of us on, you take all of us on. And I'll say this. When you come to the fight with organized labor, if you are corporate America and you want to take us on, or you're a crooked, corruptible politician, put your helmets on, buckle your chin straps, it's a full contact sport. Michelle Eisen has been a barista at the Elmwood Avenue Starbucks in Buffalo, New York for 12 years. Yes, it is that Starbucks. Michelle was a leader of the organizing drive that brought the very first union up to any of Starbucks' 9,000 locations. I started with Starbucks in 2010. Fast forward to June of 2021. I, like hundreds of thousands of service workers in the U.S., had worked through the bulk of the pandemic, putting ourselves and our families at risk daily. And in almost all cases, the companies that we worked for completely failed us. At most, I probably had a few months left in me. And then shortly after I made that decision, I received a text message from one of my fellow partners. And she asked me if I would like to get a cup of coffee after one of our shifts that week, which is weird because uh, we, we literally serve coffee all day. 
But I agreed, and it was at that meeting that she asked me what I thought about Starbucks unionizing. On December 9th, 2021, we won the first Starbucks union in the US. And with that, our campaign became a movement. Uh, as of today, there are 160 unionized Starbucks in the country. With, with more joining that every single day. Just for reference, a little over six months ago, there were zero unionized Starbucks in the US. Now, I'm often told that our campaign is different, that it is not like campaigns of the past. And I think there are aspects of that that are true. But I think it's more accurate to say that what Starbucks workers are doing is an extension of what worker organizers throughout US labor history have already done. Now, we have successfully harnessed social media and video platforms to talk to and connect with workers across the country and the globe, and those have been unbelievable tools for our campaign. But I think the most important lesson of our success is that the basic essentials of organizing remain the same as they have for 100 years. Our movement is rooted in our ability to connect with one another on a human level through our shared experiences and our workplaces and our industry. And it is using those tools that have been refined from earlier organizing efforts that we have been able to create a movement that is largely worker-led. If there's any example of what this movement and the overall labor movement in the country is right now, it's that it's hopeful. So we will stand together and we will continue to fight together. Thank you. Amazon fired Chris Smalls for organizing for organizing his co-workers to demand COVID safety in 2020. Jeff Bezos didn't know the train of events he was setting in motion. Organizing on their own, without a national union behind them, just their own instincts, homemade food giveaways, and a GoFundMe, Chris and his fellow members of the Amazon Labor Union on Staten Island pulled off a victory over Bezos that nobody but themselves was predicting. That guy, give me a, give it up, give it up. Labor in the house? The union in the house? Workers in the house? What are you talking about? Thank you, thank you. Labor in the house? The union in the house? Workers in the house? That's what I'm talking about, my first labor notes, and I want to thank you all for bringing the ALU out here. This is our first one together as a union, because in the first time, on April 1st, 2021, in 28 years of Amazon existence, we won the first union in American history. And they better recognize, they gotta recognize, we won. That's right, solidarity with the ALU, Alu. Where my Alu at, they in here? My Alu, Alu in the building? I see you. 
I see you. And, you know, I could give a speech, but this is more of a call to action. I think this is a call to action right now. That's the vibe I'm feeling here at Labor Notes. And, yeah, Jeff Bezos, they messed up when they fired me. <laughs> I want to um, take this time to connect everybody. Um, we should have a moment of silence. We don't do that often. Um, it's important that we stay connected spiritually as well because that's what's gotten me here. Um, I know as an organizer, we all sleep deprived. Um, you better be. If, if you ain't sleep deprived, you ain't doing nothing. That's a fact. So um, let's take a moment of silence for those who lost their lives in the pandemic, those who lost their lives to gun violence, police brutality, the war, abortion rights, everything. You can go on and on. Um, let's do that for 10 seconds. Solidarity, y'all. Thank you. Now I want y'all look to your left, look to your right. Say, I got your back. I got your back. I got your back. I got your back. Damn right. We won. We beat them by over 500 ballots. The workers that are here in this room. From Staten Island, they here. Pat's one of them, right here in front. He flipped 500 people. They, they fired him. Don't clap yet. Don't clap yet. Because they just fired him. They just fired him. After learning. So this is what we're up against. When we let up off the, the gas, when we come down off our high horse, when we get in tune or we get distracted by other things that's going on, they pounce on us. They divide us. They shut shit down. They destroy our movements. That's right. That's why I'm wearing this now. Got to remind them every day. We got to stay together. Y'all, the power right here, the people power, that's all it took to beat this corporation. It wasn't money. It wasn't resources. It was us. It was love. It was connections. It was trust. Yes, it was relationships. It was sacrifice. I slept at a bus stop for 11 months talking to workers. It's sacrifice. Sacrifice. So, you know, I, 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 I just want to end off with this. If we don't get it, 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 one more time, we don't get it. One more. I got one more for y'all. One more. Cause 
I got, I got to do this one. I'm doing this one because this is the largest crowd I've been in a minute, and I, I, I love the energy in here. So, if you've been in my rallies, you know what I'm about to say. Repeat after me. Billionaires, they got to go. 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 Fuck Jeff Bezos. Fuck Jeff Bezos. Fuck Jeff Bezos. Hold on. I love this. I'm having fun. Now, Jeff Bezos said he has three thoughts a day. Guess what? One of them thoughts is us right here. Solidarity, y'all. Power people. Let me thank Labor Notes, who year after year have been standing up for working families from one end of this country to the other. Labor Notes, thank you. The bad news is, and it's something that you are all familiar with, and that is that today our economic and political system is working great if you are a billionaire. It ain't working so great if you are working for a living. You know that we have more income and wealth inequality today than at any time in the history of our country. We have more concentration of ownership than at any time in the history of our country. We have more corporate greed than at any time in the history of our country. And we have a political system that more than ever is dominated by super PACs and the billionaires who fund them in both political parties. Now, the wealth and the power and the greed of the corporate elite is the bad news, 
But here is some very good news, and I know that it is news that you have been hearing all day. And that is what we are seeing in a way that we have not seen for many years is not only workers standing up and fighting back by going on strike, but a level of organizing effort that we have not seen for a long, long time. We are seeing workers taking on billionaires and telling them they ain't gonna get away with their greed anymore. So brothers and sisters, we are in truly a pivotal moment in American history. And our job, our job is to bring the working class together Black and white, Asian American, Native American, gay and straight. Our job is to bring our people together. Around an agenda that says we are going to put an end to this outrageous level of corporate greed and in fact, we are going to provide the working families with the respect, the dignity, and the security that they deserve. Thank you all. This guy's going to knock this thing over in a minute. Anyway, I got it. Okay. I'll take care of it. Yeah. All right. Could you tell us your name and your union, please? Yeah, my name is. Carmen and I am from Unite Here, uh, local 2850. I've been a member for a really long time and I've been lucky enough to do organizing with my union. So yeah, there was definitely something I related to in every single panel and every workshop. It's good to see so many people in one place doing the same thing all over the country, especially now, um, you know, people People have been kind of sad, the pandemic, right? People were laid off and um, yeah, seeing these, this many people here um, brings back hope. Like the pandemic isn't gonna stop us. We're coming back harder than ever, so. What, but what sort of company do you work for? Oh, uh, food and beverage. I see. Yeah, we, I do, I'm a server. In shops that I worked at during the pandemic, um, yeah, people, I don't know, I'm sorry. People don't, people don't take no shit. They're like, I'm selling my labor. You gotta pay me what I deserve. I've, I was hired at two different places and people literally just walked off the job when they heard a wage they didn't like. Following a couple of days, our wages were raised just because a few people walked off the job and refused to take a wage that wasn't enough. So, yeah. My name is Naomi, and I work with Starbucks Workers United. And in which town or city? In Phoenix, Arizona, in a suburb called Avondale. Store filed um, in March, and we won our election last month in uh, May. Our store actually had 
big safety issues occur that um, caused us to close down for about two weeks. And in those two weeks, that was when everything clicked for my story, you know, that we do need to do something about this. Um, and so in those two weeks of being closed, we were able to all meet and get our cards signed and everything. And that was when we filed. So very under the radar. Yeah. Was the safety, was that due to the way in which the store was managed? It wasn't due to, it was outside forces. We had a robbery and um, we had a shootout outside in the same month. So I think our store realized, you know, based on the overarching policy, you know, there's not really something set to keep us safe. Um, and the reaction was not what, what our workers would have expected. And so I think that was what really hit them, you know, like we need to do something about this and kind of take it into our own hands. Do you have a plan now how to improve that? Um, well, we're lucky in that our store, we're getting a new store. And so something we're pushing for um, that we just even received in our old store after months is bulletproof glass, um, especially in that sliding window, you know, we had a, a bullet hit right next to the window and so that was like a huge deal for people and so making bulletproof glass just like a standard in stores I think is important. How does it feel going back into work after that? I feel okay. I think I, I was lucky enough that I didn't experience either of the instances um, but it's hard to see my coworkers who are so young. I mean our average age is probably 19. To see them kind of be really nervous to work at the window and for a while they were kind of you know scared to even ask or refuse to work at the window for a while so it hurts my heart to see that but i know that the work that we're putting in is going to help them and it's going to help others let's get you introduced can you give us your name joe jenks and i'm a touring musician i'm a member of afm local 1000 the traveling musicians union i've been touring full-time for almost 25 years and a proud, engaged member of my union for the last 23, and I've been involved in the labor movement on and off for most of the last 30 years since I was in my teens. Where do you live? Right now I live in DeKalb, Illinois, Okay. but I grew up in Rockford, Illinois, and in the 1980s, Rockford, Illinois was this sort of vast wasteland in the wake of the collapse of the U.S. steel industry. Rockford was a place that was secondary and tertiary manufacturing for the automotive industry, for aerospace, for a lot of other communities in industry. And when the steel industry collapsed, it had a ripple effect. And at one point in my childhood, unemployment in my hometown was in the neighborhood of 24% which is mind-blowing. We live in a society that invites us into illusions of ascension and then puts us in a hierarchical structure. And the notion of being proud of being working class was for me when I first encountered it an incredibly radical notion and now it's absolutely central to my sense of self. How does that inform the, either the kind of music, the songs, you're, you're a singer-songwriter, folks should obviously go look up and buy all of your music, but how has that informed your, you as a musician? I've come to understand that there is power in a story. And if I can tell a story about a person, a fisherman, a miner, a school teacher, somebody, whatever trade they're in, whatever work they do, whatever walk of life they come from, if I can tell a compelling story about them that humanizes them and lends dimension to their existence, even if you don't agree with my politics, you'll be moved by a well-written song. And as that opens your heart, as, for lack of a better word, the dharma of that teaching, of that song comes into you and opens your heart, you're more likely 
to be compassionate in the way that you respond to other people you meet because now this song is rolling around in your head that makes you see other people with more dimension. And I think that's the power of art in general, is the ability to put a narrative into our heads or elicit some connection to a narrative that allows us to be more compassionate and see other people as more fully dimensional. I wonder if you have uh, maybe a stanza or two from a song like that. If you have a stanza or two that you want to do a cappella that might illustrate your point, not to put you on the spot or anything. Sure. I wrote a song about the workers in 1919 in Winnipeg and the Winnipeg general strike and tell a little bit of their story, but the chorus is, Come gather fellow workers and raise your voices strong. We rise today in Winnipeg to sing our victory song. So what brings you to Labor Notes? Are you a first-timer here? This is my first time. I've been going to the Great Labor Arts Exchange for 20 years. Yes, you have. And it was Pat Humphreys that dragged me to the Arts Exchange in 2002. And I, between the Arts Exchange and the Western Workers Labor Heritage Festival, I had several experiences over a two- or three-year period that just cracked my heart wide open. And I realized I had found... Even within the labor movement, I had found the subset of people within the movement that were like at the center of my village. The people that were using art and music and poetry and radio production and dance and theater. The conference on creative organizing I went to one year as opposed to just going to the exchange. And so the Great Labor Arts Exchange community, the conference on creative organizing, really helped me reframe both my activism and my art differently. And I still release albums that are albums of love songs and albums of very diverse theme alongside the work that I do in activism. But it's helped me understand that the whole notion of bread and roses is really important. These ideas exist in balance and we need both. Somebody asked Pete Seeger once when I was hanging out with him, how come he didn't write more love songs? And he looked at them with absolute <laughs> astonishment and said, they're all love songs. Thank you. <laughs> Joe Jenks, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for joining us on the Labor Radio Podcast yeah, thank Network. you, Chris. Great right. talking with you, man. Always. I'm Arsel Asif. I'm here, uh, well, I'm just kind of here by myself, but I'm with the Students for Quality Education at California State University, San Bernardino. But it's across all CSU chapters. And is this your first time at Labor Notes? Oh, yeah. it's It's been a blast. Yeah. Well, what's been exciting about it? Oh, uh, definitely, um, you know, learning about the fact that there's more people, you know, in labor and organizing. Because, like, I, in my, I'm come from a pretty Republican county, mm-hmm. and it's not even labor-minded at all, you know? Uh, so just seeing the fact that there's a lot of people doing it and their experience, and they've been doing it for a long time, so, like, they know what they're doing, and it's it's really hard. It's you know it's opposite of disheartening. It's heartening, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and hardening. Is there any particular workshops or speakers that have stood out that you learned a lot from? Uh, the two tier one with Alex Press hosting it uh, was phenomenal. Um, you, the John Deere labor, uh, one of the John Deere workers was there. A Teamster was there. Uh, one of the um, adjunct professors from uh, Cooney was also there and they were speaking on the fact that you know employers are using two-tier to divide us mm. right and that's I mean I, it's for the I'm from the Inland Empire right so uh, warehouses are a really big you know uh, industry it's, it's the biggest growing industry out there is replacing everything so uh, two-tier is, is 
ex extremely important to the, the workforce. I've been telling people every neighborhood, if it has a plot of land, that plot of land is either going to turn into a warehouse or those little pop-up, you know, six houses by six houses, no backyard, little developments. Can you tell us your name and the organization you're with, please? Anicia Ventura, and I belong to Teamsters Local 710 out of Chicago, Illinois. Technically Mokina, but Chicago land area. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is this your first time at Labor Notes? It is not, no. This is my second or third time now. Okay. It's been over, you know, 20 years. <laughs> what stood out for you most about this one? Attendance and the wave nationally you know um, it's 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 amazing to see you know and long overdue um, I've had like goosebumps pretty much the entire time listening to all the different stories um, just inspirational and to see the enlightenment you know um, in the eyes of just the middle class workers which by today's standards aren't even technically middle class anymore you know what I mean um, doing the same work but not reaping the same return what, what sort of work do you do in your local I'm UPS I see yeah I see. so uh, Sean Bryan has <laughs> nationally <laughs> been talking he's not going to you know settle with what they just want to sprinkle out we're going to fight for what we actually work for. And you get to vote yourself in the Teamsters. We do, we do, yeah. And that is uh, thanks to Teamsters for a Democratic Union. They yeah. actually fought for a very long time and won us the right to vote independently because we didn't always used to be that way. Okay. Hi, this is Judy Ansel with the Labor Radio Podcast Network and the Heartland Labor Forum. And with me is Eris Derrickson. Eris, where are you from? I'm also from Kansas City, uh, Missouri. I work for uh, Google Fiber there, uh, and I am part of the first bargaining unit uh, for the Alphabet Workers Union. Okay, so that's quite a coup, right? The first bargaining unit in any Google operation or, or subcontractor, right? Yeah. Right, and when did you guys organize? Uh, so we voted on our uh, unit March 25th and won in a 9 to 1 vote. 9 uh, to 1. Yes. Yes, kind of unanimous. So what made it so unanimous? What were the issues you guys were organizing around? Um, there were quite a few things. Um, mainly the main complaint there was pay. Um, one of the things about Google that they like to say is that, you know, they pay their employees really well, but that doesn't really speak towards their so-called shadow workforce, the people who don't actually work for Google, but, you know, we wear the shirts, we work at their stores and make the business run. Um, so pay was a big thing. Um, really wanting to have a voice on the job. That was, that was a lot. Um, there was a lot of changes that were made just sort of unanimously from upper management that, you know, nobody got there got a say in. Um, so it was, it's really exciting to sort of be able to have that option now so we can express our opinions about those things and keep them from happening if we don't agree. And, and you're going into bargaining and you're going into negotiations very soon, right? Yes. Uh, actually, 
the 28th and the 29th is when we have our first bargaining meeting with our employer. So. And who are you negotiating with? Uh, we are negotiating directly with BDS Connected Solutions. That is the employer, the subcontractor that employs all the Google Fiber retail stores. And so how many Google Fiber store stores are there acro across the country? There are currently five Google Fiber stores right now. Okay, so they've wired those cities or they provide internet service to five cities. That's exactly right, yeah. So why do you think Google doesn't just employ you directly, but instead uses all these different subcontractors? I think it really uh, speaks to tech at large. Um, decides to subcontract out because it saves them money on benefits and perks and other things that they brag about giving to their employees. Um, it keeps them keeps their costs low. Um, and I think the reason why there's so many subcontractors is honestly to keep solidarity down. It's hard to find uh, similarities and issues when you don't talk to each other. And do you ever talk to the other contract workers in, who work for other contractors? Unfortunately not. Um, we definitely try, but there's really no work reason for us to contact them. So we really just, our day-to-day, -day, we are very, very insulated from the other contractors. And what do you want to achieve in negotiations? Um, obviously, we're hoping for better pay. We're hoping to um, make it a better place to work. We... All of us there, we like our jobs. If we didn't like our jobs, we would have just left instead of trying to make it better. Um, but no, we're all there because we want to see it be better. We believe that it can be better. Well, that's great, and we wish you luck. Um, I'm Judy Ansel with the Heartland Labor Forum and the Labor Radio Podcast Network. Thanks very much, Ayers. Thank you. My name is Jackie Serrato. I am from the south side of Chicago, and I am the editor-in-chief of Southside Weekly Newspaper. Thank you. And can you tell us a little bit more about Southside Weekly Newspaper? Southside Weekly Newspaper is a mostly volunteer paper that is run out of the south side of Chicago, which has traditionally been portrayed in like very specific and uh, arguably neg negative ways by mainstream media. Um, because we work with a lot of volunteers, that means that um, we're very accessible to the community, uh, people who don't necessarily have a journalism background or, or who haven't gone to journalism school, they, um, they can approach us with a story idea and we will help them editorially to produce their story. Uh, I have heard these portrayals of the south side of Chicago that you described. What do people need to know about the south side of Chicago that they don't already? Well, the South Side um, is a very vibrant community that is very diverse as well. Um, it consists mostly of black residents, Mexican residents, and different pockets of, of immigrants. Um, it's also traditionally working class. Um, however, a lot of these neighborhoods have been very much uh, disinvested in um, um, historically by the city. So there's a lot of there's a, a lack of resources and opportunity for young people which is one of the reasons why we see a lot of gun violence in the South Side, but not just the South Side, across the city. I think we've had um, several pretty neoliberal uh, mayors 
um, whose um, sometimes solution to things is to just throw money at the problem, but sometimes they don't even do that, right? Mm. Sometimes they don't even provide uh, those mm. type of municipal resources. Um, but, but, but there's also, I think, like this effort to uh, privatize a lot of services um, or, to, or to have corporations um, fund um, our needs. Uh, but but as taxpayers, I think a lot of the funds are already there. It's just a matter of prioritizing communities versus maybe corporations or the downtown area. So they need to listen more and read things like the Southside Weekly, really. I mean, I would suggest that, yes. Um, I mean, and, and I mean, just commu community media in general, mm -hmm. um, kind of like what you all are doing here with, with radio, which um, I, I'm, I'm only hearing about you guys now, but it seems like you kind of have a similar mission. My name is Martin Unzueta. I'm the executive director for Chicago Community and Worker Rights, who is a worker center here in the city of Chicago. Okay. And uh, if you can tell us a little bit about the center for our listeners. Uh, well, it's a, a worker center is a non-for-profit organization that we dedicated our time to uh, educate our, our community, the, the Mexican-American community. And we help them to, um, uh, to uh, bring back the uh, wage theft as uh, the owners make to them. Mm -hmm. So we, in our community, because it's a, a poor community, we have a lot of wage theft. Uh, there are different histori histories because uh, it's not, not, not all the time we can, we can win. Mm. But anyway... The, the first thing that, that is happening is the, the workers came to our worker center. They talked to us and they say, uh, for example, the uh, owner doesn't pay us uh, one week or two weeks. We make the, made the, the numbers and then we call the, the owner and we said, you know, we are a worker center and we have this worker here. And if you doesn't pay him, we are going to put a claim in, uh, the, in uh, Illinois Department of Labor because you are uh, making a wage theft. Mm -hmm. Many times the, uh, the owners pay to them. They don't call us because uh, they are afraid to us, but they call the, uh, the, 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 uh, the worker and say, mm -hmm. hey, came for your money and that's it. And yeah, many times it is, that, that's, that, is the, that is the way. Hi everybody, my name is Jose Carlos. I work for the American Postal Workers in San Francisco, APWU, and I'm here in the Lebanon Conference for my third time. This is a great conference that you know we can meet with a lot of uh, workers around the country. What, what are some of the events that you've been to here at the conference? Well, uh, I am here to mostly to organize my people, uh, so I went so far two or three courses about organizing, organizing the labor. That gets, that's in be, very important tools that I'm going to bring it to my local and try to organize more workers. So are you working on organizing new bargaining units or organizing for a contract? No, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm organizing for everything, but uh, at, at this point I want to try to organize more about new members to our local. I went also, you know, to not to any particular speaker, but uh, I went to these uh, different in Spanish classes. That is very, very important. The energy that I get from that uh, meeting was uh, so good. They're going to bring that energy back to my local. So, 
a lot of time we think that you know in United States we don't face you know problems that we face also in Latin America. So it's very interesting to learn from these people what is the problem that they are facing. My name is Jeanette Corsilius. I'm on the board of the Fairfax Education Association and I'm one of the founding members of the Virginia Caucus of Rank and File Educators. And I'm super excited because tonight um, DSIA Labor is going to have an informal gathering or panel of sorts and um, I'm on the Democratic Socialist Labor Commission steering committee and I'm excited for it. What's the focus of that panel going to be? So we're going to talk about a lot of the work we've been doing, solidarity work, organizing with EWOC, and what we're doing in our different uh, respective industries. So um, it'll be really great. And then after that, we're going to have an EWOC social. So EWOC is the Emergency Workplace Organizing Committee, and we help workers who are not yet in a union organize one, and we get them connected with different unions and different industries. We give them the basics on how to organize, how to hold one-on-one -on -one conversations with coworkers, and yeah. I would say, yeah, it, it was hard to get to that point, um, to get collective bargaining back in Virginia, because Virginia is number one for business, but we are near the last for workers. And um, there isn't much of a culture, you know, uh, Virginia is very bourgeoisie. It's like the birthplace mm -hmm. of American capitalism. Uh, th that's the way I see it. And our history with slavery uh, since 1609. And so we're trying to change the culture. I mean, there so much has changed uh, specifically in Richmond with uh, the Black Lives Matter uprising, getting rid of all the Confederate statues. But there's so much work that needs to be done that isn't just about statues and placation and like just saying oh we we believe in black lives matter it's actually showing that by ensuring that workers uh black and brown workers uh working class folks have a union can or easily organize one my name is robert hughes i belong to the union called unite here local 23 i'm also the co-chair of my local uh, DSA chapter uh, of Central Indiana. As I became more um, more comfortable with my abilities as as a union steward, and as I developed my uh, abilities and my knowledge at, in, in DSA, the more time I've spent in both organizations and organized for both, the more curiouser, and I guess the left the drift toward being even more to the left I've been. So we are we are unionized through, through, through the three, three big companies, uh, Sodexo, uh, Compass Group, and there's an, an, an Airmark. Yeah. Airmark. So I work for, I work for uh, a Compass in, in Indianapolis, Indiana. Um, what are some of the things you're trying to organize on at the moment? So we had just won our third contract, I believe, at the, at the start of the year. We doubled our raises. We're paying less on health insurance. By the time, by the time this four-year contract ends, we'll be paying three or seven percent of our monthly health care premiums, which is great. Uh, we doubled the raises. We're getting 90 cents a year as opposed to 45 cents. 
all this we've done under the specter of you know COVID, losing union staff, uh, losing membership, and there's there's just there's just been a lot of angst, even backbiting, even a lot of uh, yeah. There, there's 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 a lot of division <coughs> within my particular workshop. So in spite of these efforts, in spite of these challenges, we still came off we still came off with a very decent contract. You still got some good wins there. Yes, for sure, absolutely. Congratulations on yeah, that. Thank you. Could you tell us your name and the organization you're with, first of all, please? Yes, my name is Michael Harrington. I'm an Eastern Kentuckian and a nonprofit worker. In my job, I organize tenant unions in mobile home parks in Eastern Kentucky. So, I haven't met. Any, I've met quite a lot of organizers, but never anyone who's organized mobile home parks before. What's that like? Yeah, um, mobile home parks are uh, get a bad rap. Um, you know, those of us who live in them uh, often are called trailer trash or something like that. But these are just regular working class, you know, neighborhoods, places where. Um, kids catch the bus in the morning where young families bring new kids in, into their into their families uh, where you know neighbors look out for each other you get you know neighborly spats just like in, in any neighborhood but um, they kind of get a get a bad rap um, mobile home parks have been in Kentucky the solution that's been on offer for affordable housing. Um, there's hardly any affordable housing left in the state of Kentucky, so 12% of Kentuckians live in mobile homes. One of the things that is a misnomer about mobile homes is that the word mobile is in it. Um, the vast majority of trailers where they are set up is where they're going to stay. Um, and also, once um, a mobile home hits a certain age, a lot of times the structure itself cannot physically be moved from that location safely and maintain the integrity of, of the structure. So um, sometimes when folks are forced by landlords or developers to move their mobile homes, the, the mobile homes are damaged or literally destroyed in the process of moving them. My name is Jamie Simpson and I I'm the Denver Domicile Executive Board member for TW556, that's the Southwest Airlines Flight Attendants. Awesome. And is this your first Labor Notes? It is. And what stuck out to you about it? The workshops. Every conference I ever go to, I always say, I wish there was more workshops. I wish there was more breakout sessions. I just want to learn. And this, this is all it is. They had a special one on the Railway Labor Act which really, um, it infringes on our rights. We can't strike without permission from the government and things along those lines, but it was tips on how to use it for good, which was really exciting. I never even twisted the narrative like that to think, oh, wait, I can use this in a good way. <laughs> how does that work? So um, it basically scares the heck out of the bosses and when you file with the government to maybe strike it takes a long time but once they decide then you can then they give you permission to strike so during that waiting period that's when you start winning battles because most likely they're going to say no in the end but they don't your your bosses don't know they're going to say no so they're going to start giving you stuff to withdraw the paperwork 
to strike. And so you don't necessarily have to be ready to strike. Right. You don't necessarily have to be planning to strike. Not at all. But you can file. Yeah, exactly. And that gives like, you Look what we whatever can do. time to... Mm -hmm. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was very cool. Give me your name, please. Uh, Zach Young. Okay. Where are you from? I'm from Olympia, Washington. And what organization you're with? I am a member rank and file of Washington Federation of State Employees, which is part of the American Federation of State, County, Municipal Employees, AFL-CIO. Mighty AFS me. <laughs> AFS me, baby. Yeah. So, uh, first time to Labor Notes? Yes. Never heard of it until early this year. And what brought you here? Um... You know, the union, our union sent out an email looking for people that were interested in being representative for this conference. Um, I've only recently got into organized labor, even though I've been interested for a while, but the opportunity came to me. They asked me to write an essay, and I did just that, and they said, congratulations, here you go. Tell me more about the kind of work that you do. So, I'm in our facilities department of the college. On my crew, the grounds crew, there's four members, including myself. Historically, there'd be 12, 15, 20 people. The Evergreen State College is on 1,000 acres, 800 of which are natural preserved. 200 is kind of the campus proper, plus some soccer fields, you know, that type of stuff. You know, they got four of us doing this. So it turns out there's a lot of work to be done, and the solution has been just to contract everything out. And the justification is we don't have enough help. Got it. All right, last question for you, Zach. You were here last night. I yeah. uh, had quite a, a, you know, a lineup of speakers from Chris Smalls to Bernie Sanders. Mm -hmm. Just love to get your reaction. I mean, you know, it, I mean, this whole thing has kind of felt a little surreal. The political climate across the country is uh, very divisive and very tense. So it's nice to be at like a, you know, intermediate to advanced level of, uh, of leftism and labor activism, you know, because there's a lot of information we can share and it's very inspiring to be here. I'm uh, so pleasured. <laughs> yeah, the room was shaking yesterday. I almost cried, you know what I mean? Multiple times. It's, it's, it's beautiful and there's a lot of work to do and it's, it's on us to take it home. All right, Zach, thanks so much for being yeah, on the Labor Radio Podcast uh, Network. Appreciate cool. it, brother. I'll see you guys later. All right. Jessica Buttermore. And uh, where are you coming from? Memphis, Tennessee. So why did you want to come to Labor Notes? This is my third time coming to Labor Notes, and I am involved in labor work. Previously, as a longtime member of United Campus Workers, which is Tennessee's higher education union, and now currently I do some labor organizing with Communication Workers of America, and I also do work with Acorn International around workers. So what type of campaigns are you doing right now with ACORN? We're doing some work with the Dollar General workers. Were you at the rally last night? Were you able to see Bernie speak and Chris yes. Malzin? Yeah. And what were some of your takeaways? Takeaways, there's really strong energy around the power of workers yeah. and collectively as workers we hold a lot of power yeah. and it's up to us to choose how we want to wield that power. Yeah, cool. All right, <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Okay, if you could uh, tell me your name. Jessica Thornton. And you're from where? Southern Illinois, Southwestern Illinois Correctional Center. Great, and uh, which organization are you with? AFSME, Local 3654. Okay, and what kind of work do you guys do? We're correctional officers. Gotcha. And then um, if you could just tell me what brought you to Labor Notes? 
I've been getting more involved in the union the past year, um, taking on stewardship, trying to start working on grievances, and uh, just, I went to the Polk School last year, I really enjoyed it, I went to People this year, so this seemed to be the next big thing to do. Okay, and uh, just give me your impression so far of the conference. It's really enlightening. I like being around the same people, like working for the same fight that we are because we don't always get that where we work. Looking at all the different perspectives and getting all the different like takes from all over the country, it's really awesome. And different jobs and how they're affected by the whole labor movement in general. Which uh, workshops have you been to so far? I've been to Young Workers Rising. I've been to a lot of grievance handling ones, how to start them, worst practices, legal rights of union stewards, just because that's what I'm most involved in myself. Um, but I really like the Young Workers Rising one because I am a young person, and I don't really see a whole lot of people moving towards unionizing, getting involved, and I like to see where other people are coming from, being around those people like me. And what does that in the uh, in that workshop kind of jump out to you that really was useful or interesting? Oh yeah, it really was. Um, just seeing how I'm not the only one that's interested in it. Um, as far as grievance handling, it kind of gives me new ideas of where I can go and different angles I can take when trying to fight for these workers' rights and what rights I have in turn when I'm in that office talking to management, defending my coworkers, and. Um, yeah, just different angles on how to win grievances and push them forward. Thanks so much for being on the yeah, network. Really you. appreciate it. I'm Nate Wendt. I am primarily with EWOC, Emergency Worker Organizing. And this weekend, I'm also a volunteer with Labor Notes because need all the help keeping this great event running as they can. So I actually got here a day early, helped set up the merch and took a six-hour shift on registration, so I think I met a 1,000 people Thursday already. And uh, where are you based out of? I am based out of South Dakota. All you right. know, one of them more right-to-work states. I do construction, so okay. constant conversation on unions. What kind of construction work? Uh, mainly general and uh, concrete. Okay. Uh, so I've been doing a lot of siding jobs and additions and whatnot this spring. And tell me about uh, EWOC. Um, Emergency Worker Organizing is a DSA project, and I believe UE is backing it as well. Um, What they try to do is go out into the right-to-work states or areas that are, you know, underutilized or people haven't gone to, and find people who are willing to get started so that we can bring them into our four-week organizer training, start getting them connected with some more experienced organizers, you know, get their feet wet, um, not only with working with their workplace, but also we're always trying to connect everybody in various industries together. Mm-hmm. And excellent, excellent. Uh, last question. Um, might have caught a little thing with uh, Bernie and uh, Chris Smalls last night. Uh, that was yes. wonderful. Loved it. I mean, how many times do you get the chance to just be with 4,000 organizers in the same room? All the speakers last night were great. We started with the head of the Chicago's Teachers Union, and she was great, and Chris Malls was great after that. He's a great speaker, and Bernie always gives a good speech. you got to love Bernie. Still going strong, isn't he? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. It's amazing how much energy Bernie has, how many years he has been fighting to still have this much energy and the fact that you know he was an hour away Thursday night 
speaking in the Chicago area. And then I believe he went somewhere in Wisconsin during the day yesterday and spoke with some union members. And then he came back to speak with us last night. So not just the energy level that Bernie has, but just the work schedule he's still keeping up, you know, after all these years is just amazing. My name is Nicole McCormick. I'm with the West Virginia United Caucus. So we bring together members of AFT and NEA in West Virginia. Why did you want to come to Labor Notes? Well, in 2018, we had a historic statewide strike, and I was invited. I had no clue what Labor Notes was, and I got to speak upon the uh, little tiny stage that <laughs> Bernie was on last night, and I made so many connections, and it just, I found my people. And what has been your favorite session so far? I really enjoyed time with other educators in UCOR because there are caucuses across the states that are in various stages. Some places like here in Chicago, they're in power. In LA, they're in power. And then there are places where that they're baby caucuses that don't have a name yet. And we're somewhere kind of in the middle. And so it's nice to make those connections and know that you're not alone. Public education seems like it's in a very precarious place. And the amount of folks that we've lost good folks, not just teachers. I mean, anyone that contributes to the education of a child is equally important, whether they're serving food or making sure that the buses are running. And my hope is that things like collective bargaining, that's a fight that we need to win in West Virginia. You know, like currently it's illegal for public employees to collectively bargain. So we don't really have any other way other than shutting down the state. for, you know, 9, 10, 11 days to make any real progress. And even though that that's amazing and powerful, it's it's not really feasible every single year. So we really need the means to be able to do that. So my hope is like, while that I'm here, that I can continue to strengthen my skills to be able to get ideas from other people that already have that, people that are nowhere near getting collective bargaining, how that they navigate that in their own districts in their own spaces and I think most importantly schools are the hearts of community how do you make sure that students and parents and community members are in on this like because fighting for the common good in my mind is is the ultimate goal so we need to fight for the common good and teachers are in the best position to do that Nicole McCormick, thank you so much for your time and speaking with the Labor Radio Podcast Network. Well, thank you for having me. Welcome to the Labor Radio Podcast Network. Can I get your name, please? Yeah, my name's Maggie Hansford. And you're from? I'm from Northern Virginia in Prince William County. And which organization are you with? So I'm with Prince William Education Association, who is affiliate to Virginia Education Association. I want to ask a little bit about labor notes, but I understand you just had a big win this week. So why don't we jump right into that? What happened? For public sector employees in Virginia, we've been banned from collective bargaining for over 44 years. Even before the ban, nobody in the public sector really had a meaningful seat at the table. So this is extremely historic for all public sector employees all throughout the state. When the law was passed in May of 2020, it was... uh, deem that the locality at the local level gets to make the decision on collective bargaining for those public sector employees. So we organized, we're the second largest local in the state of Virginia with regards to the education associations. We organized an employee base of 12 
over 12,000 employees and we secured the majority of signatures and we moved that forward to force a vote from the school board to say yes or no on collective bargaining rights and we achieved that this past week and so now we continue to do our work to make sure that we have a meaningful resolution. So Congratulations. Yeah. First of all, that's Thank an amazing you. achievement, yeah. particularly given the current political climate. Right, yeah. So that happens earlier this week, and now you find yourself in Chicago at Labor Notes. This so. is a place to be. <laughs> this is a place to be. So. so what brought you here? What are you looking for? What are you picking up? So friends, we've met education association presidents all throughout the country who come here and network. And so we thought if we are going to be anywhere this weekend, this is the place to be. We're really wanting to have a meaningful seat at the table. And that means securing it not only for us, but through for educators all throughout Virginia. The organic relationship building is something that can't be beat. And it's truly something that's going to move us forward. Education associations throughout this country who have had collective bargaining, they're light years ahead of us. So really, that meaningful knowledge that they have is what's going to push us to the finish line. So before I let you go, you keep yeah. looking to your left and right. I yeah. think you've got a team here. I think you need to introduce the rest yeah, of your team. Absolutely. Why don't you bring your other right, folks in? Go. I'm Katie Jefferson. I'm a member of PWEA and helped with collective bargaining. I'm a speech pathologist, but I work in the schools. And I'm going to have this lady introduce herself. Hi, I'm Karen Wardle, and I've worked for Prince William County's school systems for 25 plus years and when Maggie came onto the scene I got really excited. It was amazing to know that like Karen said we're doing the right thing even though it rocks the boat we're still moving so it was awesome. Maybe maybe because you're rocking the boat. Maybe because (laughs) we we had to rock a little bit to keep going forward. Can you tell me your name please? I'm Ben Grosscup. And you're from where? Well, I live in Greenfield, Massachusetts. Yeah. And which hat are you wearing here at the conference? Well, I'm the executive director of the People's Music Network for Songs of Freedom and Struggle. We're a membership-based organization with members all over the world. And our members are people who make music for social justice and peace. And uh, first time to Labor Notes? Second. Yeah, I came here in 2018 and had a great time. I performed for some of the nurses here. I like to write original songs, and it's all kind of in this revolutionary tradition of music that is challenging the ruling class. So tell us more about the, about the network. PMN has roots going back to the 1970s. We're here for each other to support one another's artistry. And there's an understanding that you get at PMN from fellow artists about what a lonely pursuit it can be at times to to make this kind of art. So it's really essential for our community that we do come together and find a place to support one another. And I would like to see a labor movement that that sort of prioritize that to a greater extent. Because then with, with, with a more active, vibrant tradition, people can actually then draw upon it when it becomes needed in a particular struggle. What I try to do with the People's Music Network, we're always working in collaboration with the Great Labor Arts Exchange, but we, we want to really create a community space. That's what our two organizations are really doing, is we're creating a community space where a variety of different people coming from a variety of walks of life can actually feel at home, right? Because if you're just creating a community where like people like you and people like you, however you happen to define that, feel comfortable, um, you, you sort of have limited the, the, the scope of what your coalition can be unnecessarily like you don't need to limit it like that my rule of thumb in life is treat people seriously and let them express themselves on their own terms 
but treat them seriously, like expect something from them, right? But also let them speak on, on their own behalf. What gets unleashed there is the human potential for inspiration, which is quashed by this dirty capitalist society at every level, every step of, of everyday life is, is a process of squelching the inspiration that makes us feel like life is worth living. Well, Ben Grosskopf, thanks so much for joining us on the Labor Radio Podcast Network. It's wonderful. Appreciate it. Chris, thanks. That's a wrap for today's Labor Radio Podcast Daily, a special edition of the Labor Radio Podcast Weekly. We're heading home today, but keep an ear out for some more pod extras next week. And remember, you'll find all the Labor Radio Podcast Network shows at laborradionetwork.org. And you can also find them by using the hashtag LaborRadioPod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Labor Radio Podcast Daily was edited by Patrick Dixon and Evan Papp. I produced the show and our social media guru, as always, is Mr. Harold Phillips, along with Mel Smith. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram, Labor Radio Net. Find out more on our website at laborradionetwork.org. For the Labor Radio Podcast Daily and the entire Labor Radio Podcast team, this has been Chris Garlock. Stay active and stay tuned to your local Labor Radio Podcast show.